<laughs> well, if you've been washed in the river, your sins have been washed away for eternity. And the devil can't have you. This is Pastor Louie's brother. So, and what a, what a big brother? Oh, baby. You're the baby. <laughs> you did a great job. Thanks so much for being here, filling in. And uh, today's message is going to be by Brian Patnaud. And I'm not even going to tell you what it's about because you're going to be blessed. And uh, so now we're going to take our tithes and our offerings and as I always say, God loves a cheerful giver. So, <laughs> so give cheerfully. And Abba, Father, we thank you for all that you've given us. And now we delight in giving to you. In Jesus' name.
How do you follow that? That was a beautiful tribute. I don't know about you, but I've felt the presence of the Lord in this place since we started. God is so good. And you know, I was as I was driving to church this morning, I was thinking about just the shifting that is taking place, not only around the world, but you know, in our family of TLC. We've suffered a lot of loss, and things have changed, and things have even, I, I dare say, Pastor Ramona, that things have moved quite a bit forward quick, quicker than what was expected. But God. But God. That was beautiful. But God. He is in control. Amen. Amen. He's in control of each one of our lives. Is there something going on with the sound? Or is this? Okay, I, I just, I'm hearing something. Um, so, Father, I just thank you that you are in control of each one of our lives. Lord, that nothing comes as a surprise to you. And, Father, I thank you that you walk with us every minute of the day, every hour. And you have a love for us that we can't even comprehend and that it may not even be until we are in your presence that we fully understand you and how much you love for us. The message this morning, um, no one is good but God alone. I don't know about you, but when I look at myself, I can easily say that. If there's a subtitle to this, it would be, but he has chosen to put his goodness within us. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And if there's a subtitle to the subtitle, it would be, where is your heart? I don't know how many of you have seen the videos, I always enjoy watching them. Um, Kurt Cameron and Ray Comfort. They have these videos, and they're so cool. Because they're walking in California on a boardwalk or down a street, and they just stop somebody, and they start asking them questions about their destiny. They'll ask them, are you good? Oh, yeah, I'm good. Well... Have you ever lied? This one girl, she says, oh my gosh, a thousand times. Well, what does that make you? Ooh, a liar. And then they'll ask somebody, well, have you ever stolen? Some people are like, yeah. And some people have to think about it. Well, no, I don't steal. Well, did you steal a pen from work? Did you steal a candy bar when you were a kid? I know I did. Well, what does that make you? A thief. Have you ever looked upon somebody with lust? The scripture says that if a man looks lustfully upon a woman, that he has committed adultery where? 
in his heart. So what does that make you? An adulterer. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? People say, yeah. Well, what does that make you? A blasphemer. So if we have to live by the law according to the law, the law says that anybody that does these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? And this is the part I really enjoy is when Kurt or um, Ray looks at him real quick and kind of shotguns him. Well, by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, adulterous blasphemer. I love the look on their face. Well, how many of us are lying, thieving, adulterous blasphemers? <laughs> By our own admission. If we live according to the law, we deserve the penalty of the law, right? But I do my best. I don't do those things intentionally. God knows my heart, right? I had to go to St. Petersburg uh, a couple of weeks ago, and a pastor that um, I attended his church years and years and years and years ago um, is pastoring over there. And it was kind of an interesting um, situation. I called him up. I said, hey, pastor, I'm going to be in town we could meet for coffee or lunch or something, and we arranged it, and we ended up just sitting down and talking for hours and hours. And he brought out something that was really interesting. He's co-pastoring a church in Clearwater. And he said, Brian, he said, we had this thing happen to us, and I'm not going to name names or anything, but he said, this denomination, this gentleman in this denomination approached us, and the reason I'm telling you this story is I want you to think about the heart. He and his co-pastor pastor a church that borders on two communities. One community is lower class. He said, the other community, he said, you would compare it to Beverly Hills in California. All the rich people that live in St. Petersburg, Tampa area, that is where they long to live. Well, they were approached by this gentleman from this denomination who's going around the country, and they said, you know, we want to meet with you. And they're like, sure, we'll meet. Well, we want to take over your church. Your church is kind of failing, and, you know, things just aren't going well, and We've got, I won't even say how many millions of dollars, but it wasn't here, it was up here. And we can take over your church and we're going to get some dynamic ministers in here and we're going to replace the worship team with this dynamic worship team and we're going to focus on the Beverly Hills crowd. And I looked at him and I said, Pastor, what was your answer? And he said, our answer was no. He said, our heart is towards the people in need, towards our community. And the Lord's reminded me, he, um, he was at a conference, and this at first infuriated me. He was at a pastor's conference, and full gospel, people, men and women of God filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were prophesying and giving words over people. And they looked at this pastor and they pointed their finger and they said, you are a pastor of dirty sheep. And when he told me that, anger rose up within me. And then it subsided and I said, praise God, you're the pastor of dirty sheep. They meant it as an insult, but they were prophesying what they didn't even recognize in their mind, but more so in their heart. He was pastoring people that were coming off the street into that church out of situations and lifestyles that God was able to reach down 
and grab their heart and change their lives. It's all about the heart. The passage I'm going to be reading um, is Mark 10, starting in verse 17, but I'm going to start a little earlier just because I think it's worth it. The second is Jesus has been ministering, and you know when he teaches, just throngs of people come around him. And there were Pharisees even in his midst. And when they're in his midst, they try to test him. They, they were testing him about divorce, and they were trying to trip him up. And a little later, I think it was probably as things were winding down, in Mark 10, starting in verse 13, it says the people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked him. What was their intent? When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Where does our heart need to be? Our heart needs to be like children. How often do kids just jump off of a playset into their dad's arms because they trust their dad? We can trust our Heavenly Father. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. That is all about the heart. Amen. Amen. No one is good but God alone. In verse 17, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, must what I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He replied and said to Jesus, Teacher, all of these things I have observed from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You are lacking one thing. Go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come to me and follow me. At that statement, his face fell, and he went very sad. He went away very sad, for he had many possessions. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have an account of this story. So what do we know about this man? He was a ruler. The man is described as a ruler. We know he's not Roman because a Roman would never call a Jew teacher or master. It's an assumption that he was a ruler in the temple. So he was somebody. And this is, when I was reading this, I was thinking, as Jesus was preparing for his journey... So Jesus was getting ready to leave. This young man runs up to him. So he's waiting to the last minute when everybody is gone and when he can have Jesus' attention one-on-one. -on -one. So that tells me, or I assume, that maybe he was a Jewish ruler in the temple. He didn't want to be seen by the Pharisees. He was young in Matthew 19.20. It says... He was a young man. He was very rich. In Matthew 19.22, says he had great wealth. He waited for Jesus to start his journey. On the surface, if you read the entire story, it looks like he's talking about the love of money, how it's hard for somebody wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, but it's much deeper than that. Again, it's about the heart. Two things Jesus did for the young man in verse 21. First, it says he looked at him. 
Jesus gave him his undivided attention. And secondly, it says he loved him. Jesus penetrated this young man's heart. When we come face to face with Jesus, we have his undivided attention and we have his love. Amen. What is your need today? Jesus is willing to give you and to give me his undivided attention and his love. What is your need? What is the situation? Jesus is willing to give us his undivided attention. Amen. In verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? This I find interesting. In verse 24, it says, the disciples were amazed at his words. And then there's like a pause. It's like they were speechless. They weren't answering him. They were like deer in the headlights. And when I read this, I look at myself and say, God, what is in me? I don't have great wealth. But I think it goes deeper than that. What is in my heart, oh God? So Jesus again said to them in reply, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished and said among themselves, then who can be saved? Now they know that not everyone is wealthy, so why would they say, well then, who can be saved? I think they were facing the realization that if a rich man can't enter the kingdom of God because of his heart condition, how can we? It's harder for someone to go through the eye of a needle. And I haven't been to Israel, but you know, some people think it's threading a needle. It's really not. It's a gate. In Jerusalem, they had gates. They were very, very large and very tall, and it would allow you to come in with your camel or your horse, multiple, you know, wide. But at night, they would close this huge gate, and then there was this small door, this, to protect the city. So anybody coming in, they would have to come through that door, and if they had a camel with them, threading a camel through the eye of a needle, they would have to take everything off of that camel, they would have to get that camel to get down and squat and come through threading the eye of a needle. So he's not saying it's impossible, but he's saying it's really hard. Jesus looked at them and said, for human beings, it is impossible. For us, it's impossible. For that young man, he went away sad. But not for God. All things are possible. Peter began to say to him, we have given up everything and follow you. And Jesus was telling him that there will be rewards. What have you given up? What have I given up? Some of us have given up greatly. I know I gave up friendships. When I accepted the Lord as my Savior, it was kind of interesting. I'll, I'll never forget this day. My friends pulled up in my driveway, and they were going to the bar. There, were, there was a nightclub that we used to attend, and they had this amazing jazz blues band, and we used to go up there and, and have fun. And, Anyway, they pulled up and they're like, Ryan, we're going to this club, come on. And I stood there and I said, you know, I, I really can't. And my best friend got out of the car, stood, we're standing across from each other. And he said, you know, Brian, you've changed. He says, it's kind of like you've got a disease now. <laughs> you know? 
I mean, my friends just dropped off. Now, thank God, a lot of them got saved. Praise God. Praise God. But some of us have given up greatly. And some of us have given up things that um, we needed to. Some things have been not so pretty. And I've always called that the great exchange. And I'm going to get emotional. Because what I gave up, yeah, I gave up some friends. But when we are willing to place the things in our life that is not pleasing to God at his feet, addictions, hate, lust, what are the things that drove us before the Holy Spirit drew us to God, that he says, come, put them at my feet. And what do I mean by the great exchange? The word says, he gives us what? Beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. That we might be trees planted in righteousness to show forth the praises of him. What do you have to praise God for? Oh my gosh. He has saved us. He has delivered us. He has given us new life. He has given us hope. A hope. That beautiful song that y'all sang about heaven. We have a hope in Christ Jesus. This rich young ruler, where was his heart? His heart was in something that was temporal, his wealth. The Bible talks about that as it's what wood, hay, and stubble. All that's going to burn up at some point. And Jesus took the time to look him in the eye and it said, and to love him. This young man recognized his need. There was something more. Master, what do I need to inherit eternal life? He sensed. How many of you have been in the presence of the Holy Spirit? Been in the presence of Jesus? And the whole atmosphere changes. How could those thousands and thousands of people that Jesus taught way back have not sensed this man, this man is different. He carries himself differently. How can you not be in the presence of Jesus and not know? And this young man sensed it and said, Master, how? What do I need to do? And Jesus, like an arrow, shooting directly into that point of his heart that Jesus knew. The young man didn't even know. But Jesus shone his light on the frailty of this young man's heart. It's time for some of us to relinquish. When I was studying for this, that word just hit me. We have to relinquish our lives. And maybe it's Maybe you've accepted the Lord as your Savior, but there's something there. There's just something there that you're holding on to. And sometimes the things that we hold on to, we don't necessarily want to, 
but they become a comfort to us. I don't know if any of you have experienced that. If you've dealt with anybody who they just seem to be angry all the time. They hold on to their anger. It becomes a protection for them. their anger. It becomes a protection for them. It becomes a comfort for them. Jesus knows how to take that arrow and penetrate that part of our hearts. To relinquish, what does that mean? It means to withdraw or retreat or to leave behind. It means to stop holding on to physically, to relinquish one's grip. What are you holding on to so tight? I'm learning how to relinquish my son, Nathan. He just graduated high school, right? This is being tough. I can imagine what Pastor Louie and Tracy are going through. They're driving their son up to join the Marines, right? How do you relinquish that? Take a step back and say, God, I've done everything I know to do, and it hasn't been perfect. I've made big mistakes. But God, I relinquish him to you. But this is what, this is dad. God, I relinquish him, but I take him back. God, I relinquish him, but, I, but this is happening. I need to take him back. What are we going after? Taking back, taking back. God, I need to let it go. No, I need to take it back because I'm feeling insecure. Well, you know what? He is our security. In him, we move and breathe and have our being. We can trust him. We can trust him. It also means to give over possession or control. When Jesus died on the cross, I talked about this a couple of Sundays ago, and it's like you have a mortgage on your house, who owns your house? The bank. The bank. But I'm, I write a check every month and I send it. The bank owes the house until it is paid in full. And they send the title deed to you and you celebrate. You burn the mortgage. And you've got the title deed. Yes, it's mine. Well, that's what Jesus did for us. When he died on the cross, he went to hell and took the keys out of Satan's hands. He paid our debt that we could never pay, ever pay. And he took the title deed. Sometimes we kind of try to go up to him and Hey, give me the title deed. No, it's his. We become his possession. So when we give over our possession, our control, and we yield to him, he's responsible for us. Yes, he commands us, and you know there's certain things we have to do, but we are in his hands. If the young man loved God, more than he loved his own possessions, he would have been willing to give up his wealth and to serve God. He went away very, very sad because he wasn't willing to relinquish the grip. Jesus, like laser accuracy, exposed the man's heart, went right beyond everything. That man didn't even recognize his own greed, his own heart, but Jesus again shone his light on this young man. Jesus' statement that only God is good in Matthew 19.18 is proved in the young man's response to Jesus' command. He refused and he went away. 
Am I good? I drive up 95 every single day, Monday through Friday, to work, and I have to maneuver the that new interchange, I-4, South Daytona, and I don't know why they didn't consult me when they designed that. <laughs> I really don't know because it is all wrong. And people are shuffling and doing this and pulling in front of you and doing all this stuff. And you know, there's a, a white line that I think is 10 miles long that you know, you're not supposed to cross the white line. You're supposed to wait for it to be hatched before you can get into this lane and everybody's doing this and I'm trying to follow the law and I can tell that my heart is not good. I had a girl cut me off. She was, I got off to do the South Daytona exit but then there's two lanes that go west Daytona, East Daytona, and I'm on the South Daytona, and then the one to the left is the, you stay in this lane, and you get back on 95, and this girl full of all these young people, I'm here, and she pulls across right in front of me. How I did not hit her, I tell you, it had to have been angels, because she pulled right in front of me. We're all doing in that area, 65, 70 miles an hour, and she crosses all these lanes of traffic to hit this lane. Am I good? Mm -mm. No. There's a scripture that says, what is it? If a man says in his heart that he doesn't sin, he's a liar, something like that. Well, I have to still repent. I was saved in 1976, and I tell you, I ask God for forgiveness every single day because I know my heart. What is the condition of your heart? Are you willing to relinquish your grip? In Proverbs 21.2, every man's ways is right in his own eyes. But I had the right, I had the lane, I, you know, they, anyway... But the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord knows our heart. Our prayers should be like the psalmist David in Psalm 26.2. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Jesus exposed this young man's heart to himself. But how many of us were sitting here and instead of walking away sadly, said yes to God. The Lord reminded me as I was driving here, there's a gentleman, he and his wife I went to church with years and years and years ago in Longwood, Florida. His name was Charlie Williams. He was like a father to me. The scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I remember as he became older, he's, he's not with us anymore. I would see him every Sunday, but as I changed churches, it would be like maybe once every few months. And we would sit down and talk. And every time he would mention the name of Jesus, tears would fill his eyes. And he would talk about the goodness of God. Out of the abundance of his heart, he was speaking. And it was so powerful just to sit in this man's presence. He became very wealthy, owned two companies, and God required a lot out of that man. But he always said yes. Let's say yes to God. I'm going to skip through all of this. So if God has placed his goodness within us, what do we do with it? What is it? Philippians 2, starting in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, 
Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purpose. He has put his goodness within us. William Tyndale says, God's goodness is the root of all goodness, and our goodness, if we have any, springs out of his goodness. Amen. Psalms 31:19, how great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. He's placed his goodness within us. And it says, before the watching world, whether we like it or not, the eyes of the world are upon us. The eyes of the world are upon us. Psalms 27, 13, yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. His goodness is here with us. Psalms 23, 6, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what do we do with it? First Chronicles 16, 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. God has given us his spirit. You've accepted Jesus as your personal savior. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And that blows me away. Because how can the human body, except by the grace and mercy of God, how can the Spirit of God dwell within a human tabernacle and survive? But we do. We have his Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Jesus fulfilled the law. We have the attributes and the character of the Holy Spirit within us. So God has called us to be his ambassadors. He's given us the fruit of the Spirit. He's given us the gifts of the Spirit. What is God birthing in you? Maybe there's a dream. Maybe there's something that God has placed in your hearts that hasn't come to fruition yet, a promise that will affect the people in your area. When we spend time with God, it changes us. How can we not be in the presence of God and not be changed? It becomes noticeable. The way we talk, the way we react to situations are changed. When Moses came down from the mountain, they saw that he was in the presence of God. How many of us, guilty, I'll point the finger at me first, in situations at work, this past two weeks ago, a coworker and I kind of butt heads like this a little bit. Did I react the way Jesus would have reacted? Was I, you know, the, the Bible says that we're to pray, pray without ceasing. I think that's just to recognize that we're in his presence all the time. 
being just, hey, God, I love you. What would my reaction have been? It would have been a little different. We need to be willing. David said, change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Oh, I'm sorry. This is a song that we used to sing. I don't know, it just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. We used to sing this, what, 20 years ago? Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. What is your prayer? We become ambassadors for Christ, whether we want to be or not. If we don't want to be, then maybe God needs to shine that laser on that part of our heart. What is your gift? What has God called you to do? Who has God called you to be? Where does he want to position you? I, I call it a sweet spot. You know when you're in that sweet spot of the Lord. The children of Israel had to move. They followed what? The cloud by day and the fire by night. Where is God taking you? Where is your sweet spot? Are you following the cloud? Are you following the fire? Because God will direct your path and he will use you to change others' lives. We're his hands, we're his feet, we're his voice. Amen. Amen. Some of us are louder and more boisterous in it. Some of us our personalities are very timid. Years and years and years ago, I was so timid. I was the kid, when I, even when I first got saved, I would, if there was a group, I'd go to youth group, I was standing in the back wall. I was so intimidated. But God changed me. He transformed me. He filled me. There was no way I remember youth group the youth pastor, he recognized some of my issues and he said, Brian, we're going to show a film and this tells my time it wasn't you changed the CD. We had rolls this big that you put on the projector and I was so nervous doing this because I had to get up in the, and I had to do this and I totally failed. But God, he changed my life. He filled me. He turned me around. He showed me my worth. We need to recognize our worth. Your worth is beyond what you could ever comprehend. As an immature Christian, I said this in Sunday school a few weeks back, I remember I was just freshly saved, I was laying in the, the living room, just worshiping God and praying. And I had this immature thought. I was done. I was like, okay, what do I do? And I'm thinking, gee, if I had a million dollars, what would I do with a million dollars? And the Holy Spirit nailed me and said, but you have me. How much more is that to give? Let the Lord examine your heart. I'm letting God examine my heart. I'm going through something now that it's like God changed me, rearranged me. What do you see in me that's not pleasing to you? Whatever you want to do, God, I take the reins off, no matter how painful, no matter what shifting takes place because I know what he is going to give me is going to be beyond. If the scripture says he'll give us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, how much more does he have for us when we're willing 
to take our, our knuckles that are so white holding on to something and letting it go. God is so good. Amen all the time. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are God, that there is none like you. And Father, even as we're seeing pictures coming from this new telescope that sees so far beyond and even astrophysicists are saying there has to be a creator. It is so complex and so amazing. And that is you, God. But yet, even as you took the time with this young ruler and looked at him, and your word says you loved him, yet his choice was his choice. But Lord, we say yes. God, I pray that you would use us mightily that you would use this church, Lord God. Father, I declare a blessing upon your people here today. I declare a blessing upon this church. And Father, that what the enemy meant for destruction, God, you have so much more than we can even comprehend or even see in our mind's eye because you are God and you are able Father, you have equipped us, and I pray that we would be willing to be used by you. In Jesus' name. If any of you would like prayer, or if you just want to come down and just do this, I have this, Lord. I'm getting rid of it. I'm just throwing it down. I'm giving it up. There's things God's showing me. Brian, you need to correct this. Brian, you need to do this. There's things that I've held on to, like that rich young ruler that I didn't even know existed. I don't think he realized his greed. He was, they think, a ruler in the synagogue. So there are things sometimes that we recognize that we just need to throw down. And whether you want to come up as just an act of, hey, God, I'm, I'm just going to cross this line and throw this down and walk back to your seat, or if you just want to do it in your heart, or if you need prayer, if you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, if you have a need and you want to come up, I'll pray for you with the assurance that God loves you. You are, there's no, no more condemnation. No more condemnation. Because God is love. Amen. Amen. Amen.